You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 190. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. And as always, I'm excited for this week's episode. So, we've had some great conversations. We discussed stigma last week and understanding how you frame your life and rather than comparing it to somebody else's, listening to what they're saying and having a conversation. Extremely important. If you want to know more about that, go back and listen to that episode. Um, even even today, I noticed it when having a conversation with a girlfriend. She was telling me some stuff, and I just it's like it's it's really like an unconscious kick, right? It's like, oh yeah, that was going on with you. Well, this is what's going on with me. So what are you complaining about? Like it's it's something to work on. Thinking that you're just going to listen to that episode one time and you're going to be like, okay, cool. No more minimizing. No more comparative deletions. No more comparison and contrasting. I'm just going to listen to somebody explain to me uh, what it is they're experiencing and I'm going to ask really cool questions and they're just going to la, 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 silver surfer it and everything's going to be (laughs) hunky-dory. I wish. Oh, boy. But, you know, that's the grow. That's the growing in life. That's the awesomeness to catch myself doing it and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You know what? That's not what I'm going to do right now. I'm not going to minimize what you're experiencing. I was like, right now we're talking about you. We can discuss my side of this later, but right now I want you to feel heard. I mean, that's a huge, huge growth moment for me. See, one of the things that she likes to, 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 to poke me about is that she's like, you know, you talk about a lot of stuff, but you don't do it all. And I'm, I'm very quick to say, I talk about a lot of stuff and I do all of it. Just maybe not as well as I know I will be in the future. And even that is, is making sure I frame it correctly. Even that is making sure that I'm very cognizant of what it is that I'm saying in order to experience it in a healthy way. It's very important that, you know, she can poke and I get it. She's making a joke. Yeah, you don't do all this stuff. Well, I mean, I do it. Maybe not as consistently as I would like. I am a human. I do get emotionally triggered. I I, I do fall back into old pre-programmed habit loops, right? What's important for me is to step outside of that afterwards and say, what exactly can I do better the next time? And that, my friends, is the theme of today's show. Today, we are going to discuss how there is no failure. There's only feedback. And we're going to get into that a little deeper here in a moment. But I want to add on how else we're going to discuss this today. We are going to take that statement. There is no failure. There's only feedback. And we are going to run it through what I call the three G's, or G cubed, whenever I want to be coy with it. G cubed is good, grow, great. When we go to do new things, when we go to do things we've already been doing, and when we go to stop doing things we no longer want to be doing, or when we go to not do things we've never been doing, I covered all four. (laughs) 
<laughs> Regardless, when we do things, communicate to ourselves in our head, communicate to other people, take on a new habit, go off and give a speech in front of 50 people at an addiction recovery center, whatever it is, we are given an opportunity to internalize what's been experienced for us to realize that our words do not describe our reality. They create our reality. And inherently, we're going to want to judge what we have done. Now, judging is something that I talk about in the tribe all the time. That's my Voxer community where I've got people just like you come in and we discuss things all the time. We're very active in there discussing, you know, dating after a few years off or communicating better with wives or, you know, just learning more about ourselves. It's fantastic, the subject matter that's covered in there. And because everybody has listened to this podcast, we're all speaking a very similar language. In the tribe, when I talk about judging, we're very mindful to frame it as much as we do not judge each other right or wrong. We seek to understand each other at a deeper level more meaningful and vulnerable level. This can be difficult to do with other humans because we don't often do it with ourselves. So inherently, we want to judge things that we do rather than embrace the fact that we just did it at all. And then how are we going to start to get the feedback from that experience? Generally, we want to immediately go into the judgment of what we didn't do well, what we didn't do right, what we basically did wrong. And that's inherent in the human psychology. That's tens of thousands of years of living in a world where if you didn't have situational awareness, you weren't aware of your surroundings, the woolly mammoth would step on you, the saber-toothed cat would eat you, the poison berries would get you, the gigantic spider would bite you. We have lived in a world for an enormous amount of time that basically was a constant threat to us. So if we weren't paying attention, then there was a good chance that we were going to find ourselves on the wrong end of the living stick. (laughs) And really, it wasn't until after World War II where this country, uh, and probably a majority of the world, got extremely safe. Right? We weren't worried about, you know, the 1800s. We were still looking, you know, going across the country as pioneers. And, you know, not all of our experiences with one another went very well. You had a bunch of people running around with guns and a whole lot of law not available to help. Was the Wild West movies accurate or not? I don't know. But when you got like three lawmen and everybody around you is carrying a gun, <laughs> a lot of things can go sideways. Then the Industrial Revolution happened, and we had people were working in factories and on farms that were unsafe environments with equipment that had never been tested, not wearing the proper shoes and having gloves and helmets. And they're, they're just insane. You see some of the um, buildings people were living in in New York City and Boston, the tenement houses in the 1920s, very unsafe. And here comes the uh, the stock market crash in 1929 and the Great Depression and you know, just widespread poverty and starvation. And then, boom, World War II comes in and it saved our economy, regardless of what the Nazis and all that stuff happened. Just leaving that off for a whole nother episode of a historic history podcast. Regardless of what was going on with the whole World War II, here in this country, it actually shocked our economy awake. And so when everybody came back in 45, next thing you know, it's white picket fences and heavy metal cars all over the place. And we created a very safe environment for ourselves here in the United States. For those of you around the world, 
I don't know what was going on in your country. Maybe you can pinpoint a certain time where your country started to shift to being a relatively safe environment. Go ahead and just slide your story right into this explanation. Because why it's important is that our brains have been hardwired to seek out the negative. Because when we're paying attention to the negative, that means that we're, our senses are heightened to what bad things can happen to us. And when our senses are heightened to the bad things that can happen to us, then the likelihood that we're surprised by something that could hurt us is lessened. When you're constantly looking around, looking for things to kill you, the likelihood that something that's going to kill you can sneak up on you is dramatically lowered. We don't live in that world anymore. For the most part, pretty safe. Mass shootings and, you know, deadly viruses aside, for the most part, we know when we wake up in the morning, our head's going to hit the pillow that night. We know it relatively safe enough to actually plan days and weeks and months and years out in advance. Why did I just go into that history lesson? Because your brain is going to naturally want to start giving you the negative feedback before the good feedback, because that's what it thinks it needs to do in order to keep you alive. But we don't live in a world where we're going to instant death just because we think we gave a bad speech. In fact, that's not benefiting anyone. So when I started to think about this good, grow, great being framed around the there is no failure, there's no feedback, what instigated this entire podcast was a speech I gave on Saturday. I went to an addiction recovery center. I was extremely happy that I got booked there. I was extremely excited to go and give this presentation. I reworked that speech. I mean, I already already have so many speeches written. I could get up in the drop of a hat and go and present. But I reworked this one because I wanted to put my best foot forward. This is a very well-known name. They're prestigious. You know, do good there and you can go off and you can use them as a testimonial and as a recommendation. And, you know, future doors will open because I hit this one out of the ballpark. And I went in there and I did a lot of really good things. And I absolutely had some growth moments. And there are some things I did really great. When I got in that car, And I was high on life. I was just so happy. It did not take very long for that that negativity monster to jump out of the back seat and start riding shotgun with me. And by the time I got home an hour and a half later, it's like it was a whole shit show. It's like I went up there and just drooled on myself for an hour. My brain had me convinced that that was the worst presentation and speaker event that these people would ever go to that I should just stop what I'm doing and you know go get a go get a job I don't know scrubbing sewers with my toothbrush it was ridiculous and still 5 days later I'm not feeling all that great about it so what am I doing about it now I know because I talk about NLP all the time a lot of you are like, dude, just do your NLP stuff and just, you know, go back and release the anxiety and the stress and the negativity. And yes, I've done a majority of the cleanup work I need to on this, but I'm a human and a human has human emotions. And no matter how much I journal about it or I think about it or I run it through good, grow, great, is it going to just completely take away those negative feelings I have. Sometimes I just have to do things sad. I just have to do things afraid. I just have to do things disappointed in myself. Should I be sad, afraid, or disappointed in myself? That's subjective to my own perspective, just like it'll be to you. But certainly, 
moving forward, I can go and what happened this morning is when I was talking to one of my, my buddies, Tom Rigsby, you guys know his name, it's who I moved in with when I moved to Huntsville. And he was asking me, what was your outcome? What went well? And I went straight into the bad. And he's like, no, 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 no. I said, what did you do good? So I started going over what I did good. Right? I looked people in the eye. I didn't pace back and forth too much. I stopped and I made very dramatic points when it was needed. I made very excitable points when that was where I was at. I generally followed the outline very well. Again, I was really happy with my eye contact, that my voice didn't quake. Right? I was extremely happy with you know, the fact that I did say some extremely powerful stuff. They definitely know that there's a podcast called From Sobriety to Recovery Now. And they absolutely, at some point, everybody in that room took on a little bit more hope, a little bit more confidence that sobriety and what that can bring to somebody's life is immeasurably better than addiction. Now, that's great. That's what I wanted to be able to harness the power of the good, to walk away from that presentation saying, hey, you did a lot of good stuff. Now, I'm not going to turn my back on the on the grow section. The grow section is the part that wants to continue shoving its freaking ass in my face. So let's discuss the grow, right? I did hop around a little too much when it came to the to the outline, right? I had, I had a couple too many sidebars. I'm not sure I tied it back in. In a way, I almost treated it like a live podcast. I wanted there to be more interaction. I wanted there to be more talking. It's not to say that there wasn't interaction and talking, but I would have liked to, to, for it to have felt more like I was talking with them and not at them. I had to skip an entire, the entire second page of the speech, and that's where habits was located. I was going to explain to them cue, craving, response, reward. The grow part is you cannot go in there, Jesse, <laughs> and try to teach a 12 episodes worth of content in one hour. It's too much. I know. I get excited about this stuff. I take a 30-minute episode and I turn it into an hour episode. Hell, I take a five-minute topic and turn it into an hour-long episode. I just get that excited about talking about this stuff. And because I know that a lot of you like to listen to me while you're working or running or run, you know, doing something around the house, that you're cool with episodes going on for an hour. But I still have to be mindful not to try to shove so much content into a one-hour presentation that... It's almost like they get lost in the sauce. So those are some great grow, grow, grow moments. And then what did I do great? I told myself I wanted to show up a half hour early. Did that. Wanted to be dressed really nice, but not overly dressed, right? I wanted to seem like a normal dude, but I also wanted to seem professional. Check. Made great conversation with the people who worked there, you know, before and after. Established rapport. Made sure that I, you know, that they really had a chance to see that this kind of stuff matters to me. Again, I looked people in the eye. I didn't stammer. I didn't, I didn't get quakes in my voice. I was really happy with that aspect. Really connected with some people. That's great. It's phenomenal. Where I was that Saturday, leaving that place, is like just so much further ahead than where I was pre-COVID. It is astounding to me how much better I have gotten at public speaking and being able to take this content and share it with people. It's phenomenal. So now I've got my good grow great. Now the grow is going to continue pushing itself into the forefront. I get it. Again, natural human inclination to make sure we're paying attention to the quote unquote bad, to the failure part. Because in life, if you fail, it could mean death. 
It seems like that seems a little much, doesn't it? A little much. But think back to like middle school and high school. If you weren't wearing the cool new shoes, the cool new kicks, had the cool new outfit, it's like death. It's like, oh my God, they were making fun of my shirt, right? Then you felt isolated and alone and you wanted to hide and then the bullies and the mean girls and all of that. Heaven forbid we get singled out by the herd. What's funny is that the people you think would feel the most self-confident have the highest sense of self-esteem were often the people who are the meanest, Right, you think back to that Mean Girl movie with like uh, with uh, Alicia Silverstone. You think back to any kind of bully kind of movie. It's like some of these people are like they had the money, they had the nice clothes, they had the pretty smile. They're the ones who hit puberty first, but for some reason they're the ones out there picking on people. Now, my middle school was definitely the country dudes. They were not the ones dressed as nice, but I know for a fact, even back then, that their home lives were filled with addiction and abuse. So they would go and they'd leave there and they had no power at home. They needed to flex their power muscle somewhere. So they did it on this little nerd to play chess in the cafeteria at lunchtime. That's, they needed power and they found the easiest target to do it as. That could have been internalized my entire life as being less than, and for a long time it was. But not my entire life, just my entire active addiction life. <laughs> you know, my senior year, whenever uh, even my even my bestest of friends knew that there was an underground newspaper and, you know, they basically made fun of me on like 16 or 17 of the 18 pages of it. It's like, it basically, it's basically like a Jesse Mogul bash session. And I remember getting a hold of it and thinking, this is actually quite funny. And at the same time, it just felt very isolating, felt very alone, felt very sad, right? What, what did I fail as? What, what, what was my failure? Why wasn't I being good friends with people? Why, why am I being treated this way? Well, that's it. When I graduate high school, I'm going to make sure that all the girls like me and all the dudes want to be my friend, that I get introduced to marijuana on my 18th birthday. Three weeks later, here comes LSD at the Grateful Dead show. Six weeks later, here comes cocaine at the Nine Inch Nails show, and I realized that the fastest way to make friends is to show up to a party with marijuana and LSD and cocaine, and I promise you, that is your ticket into any party when you're at in a college. And, yep, not going to be too hard to find a girl who wants to hang out with you when you've got free drugs all the time. May not be the best kind of girl, but it's a girl. So feeling like a loser and a wallflower and isolated and alone in high school got replaced with being the life of the party in college. And I did that by making sure that I always had alcohol and drugs. So then I attached myself to alcohol and drugs. And if I didn't have alcohol and drugs, then how would anybody want to be my friend? If I'm the life of the party, when is my turn to be sad? Can't be sad. Life of the party isn't sad. Can't run out of drugs or alcohol. Life of the party doesn't run out of drugs and alcohol. Built my entire identity around being the life of the party, and I also believe that in order to be the life of the party, you couldn't run out of alcohol or drugs, and you certainly couldn't be sad. Not a whole lot of depth in the friendships you're going to make, in the relationships you're going to have when you think that you can't be sad around people and that you've always got to have alcohol and drugs on you or near you in order to be accepted anywhere you go. Now, I can look back at that and say, that was a failure. That was a failure of my soul. That was a failure of my being. That was a failure, but it's not. It gives me opportunities for feedback for how I can live my life in sobriety and recovery. 
utilizing the power that that addiction had over me to now take that power that the addiction had over me and now put it on to recovery. Let recovery have that kind of strength and power over me. Now I'm around people who love the sober version of me, who yearn for more of the sober version of me, who understand that some days I'm happy and some days I'm sad. Some days I'm outspoken and some days I'm very quiet. They know how to communicate with me whenever I'm one of those different versions of myself. I don't have to be fake. I don't have to put on a facade. I don't always have to show up and have something for them. Me just being me and being there with them or calling them, that's enough. That's exactly what they want. And in fact, now I've surrounded myself with people that if I did all of a sudden want to come around super drunk, super high, always looking to party, they'd look at me like, I don't want to be around this version of you. I have literally changed everyone around me so that they want this version of me. And the people who wanted to try to hold me back into being the old Jesse, those people went bye-bye. I'm not saying it was easy. I just believed at the time it was necessary. When you get into your sobriety and recovery, everything is up for awareness. Everything is up for observation. Everything is up for dispute and debate. You wipe the board clean and you start writing names down and say, are these the people I want in my life? Every single person has to earn entry into new Club Jesse and Recovery. Club Sobriety and Recovery, everybody has to have their credentials passed through again. Everybody, leave the club. We're going to completely remodel it. And then you all get to go through the admission process again. And not all of you are going to make it. And you can do your feedback sandwich with that. Okay, how is this good for me? Where can this relationship grow? Where can I help them grow? Where can they guide me to grow? And what's great about this relationship? And when you look at all of this on paper... If you're feeling congruent, if you feel a balance, if you feel a positive charge and a positive energy around it, then congratulations, that person gets to come into your new club. If you're on the fence a little bit, that's okay. There's a waiting area. I'm going to tread lightly around that person for a little bit. If this other person standing in line putting their admission papers in is your old dealer, congratulations, see yourself out. You're gone. Nope, you stay outside. In fact, you can't even be on this sidewalk. You need to go across the street. There's no room for you in this club. When you realize that all those things that you did that got you into sobriety, all those things that led you here, those are not failures. Those are feedback opportunities. And when you ask yourself, where was that good? Where can I grow? Where was it great? And this can be seen, this can actually, it's almost like your brain is still trying to figure out whether you took the red or the blue pill. It's like, how am I in this juxtaposition where my behavior while I was an addict isn't the behavior I want to have as somebody in sobriety and recovery, yet Jesse's telling me that there was a lot of good things about my behavior when I was an addict. And there were. At some point, you showed resiliency. You showed fortitude. You showed tenacity. You showed um, like hardworking abilities. You showed 
cunningness, or you showed you showed how you could be flexible. I, I could sit here and ramble on with tons of more words, but it's like resiliency, tenacity, flexibility, hardworking. Yeah, you may have been using your resiliency to drag your ass out of bed at the eleventh straight hangover to go to work just to crawl out of that place and go get wasted. You may have had flexibility because one night you wanted cocaine, but they didn't have any cocaine, so I guess it's Jaeger shots. Like, I get how absurd saying that your behavior back then was actually something that you can use now, but it's all in the framing. You showed an ability to stretch your dollar to make sure that you always had money for drugs and alcohol. I mean, you you kept paying some of your bills. Maybe you were like me. I always made sure my rent was paid, my electric was paid, my cell phone was paid, my car was paid, my insurance was paid. These were things I did not want to have to deal with if they did if they went sideways. I didn't want to live in my 300ZX down by the river. I didn't want to do it. So I made sure all the bills were paid, and then I partied hard. So then when I got sober, I was like, oh, wait. I showed that I'm hardworking, that I've got tenacity, that I'm flexible, that when I make a decision, I'm going to stick with it. Back in the day, making a decision and sticking with it could have been like, hey, guys, I know it's 3 in the morning, but who wants another 8-ball? And next thing you know, you're walking a mile and a half to get to the ATM to walk another mile and a half to get to your dealer's house to walk three miles back home, all the while doing key bumps walking down the street, trying to hide in the shadows so that nobody either, one, came by and tried to mug you, or two, cops saw you and tried to pull you over and get get you know get all up in your grill. And I realized I just said I was walking and getting pulled over, but you know what? I mean. You can definitely get harassed by cops because you're walking down the street at 4.30 in the morning. You're probably up to no good. <laughs> so yes, that's that's tenacity. That's decisiveness. That's flexibility. Like, okay, bicycle doesn't got enough tire air in the tires. I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll guess what? I'll run. But Jesse, you haven't run in like four years. I'm running to the dealer's house. <laughs> Right, and I'm, I know I'm making it's a light of this, and I'm being a bit jocular right now. But it's I want you to be able to reframe that. You showed these certain values and these certain principles. Now let's flip it. Show that decisiveness. Okay, I decided that I'm going to start, you know, eating healthier so that I can exercise with my kids and we can all be a healthy family. Have that kind of level of decisiveness around doing that for yourself and your family, the way that you used to have decisiveness over getting wasted on a Friday night. Have the level of flexibility that you used to show whenever you would hop from party to party to party looking for the right party favor and instead use that kind of flexibility to say, oh, shoot, it rained. I guess we can't go to, to the park and kick the ball around. Instead, why don't we, I don't know, play sequence or this really cool board game or let's all get on you know, Nintendo and play Super Mario Kart. I don't know. I haven't played video games in like 20 years, but I know that one used to exist. Like, where can you show flexibility in your life? And then step out of that and say, okay, where did I do good today with my kids? Where did I do good today with my partner? Where did I do good at work today? Where did I do good with my recovery today? Where can I grow? Right? Where, not necessarily what I did bad what, or what I didn't do good, but where can I grow? Where is some aspect? Oh, okay, I picked up my phone like 10 or 15 times to check the fantasy football score. Next time I'm spending quality time with the family, I'll put the phone on top of the TV and say, you know what, I'm not coming back to it for two hours. Again, I realize I just said putting a phone on top of a TV. Most of our TVs are flat screen now, so that's like totally showing my age, but you get the point, right? Oh, I picked up the phone too much. You know what, I'm going to put it in this drawer and I'm not going to go back to it for two hours. That's a good growth moment. 
right? In fact, how about we all put our phones in the drawer for two hours? Let's all just be here together. Let's do this as a growth moment for us all. And then at the end, we're like, wow, wasn't that great? For two hours, it was just us here. Okay, everybody go get your phones and check your text messages. Great. Awesome. When you do things and you look for the feedback rather than only looking for the failure, you get to feel positive. You get to feel recharged. You get to feel energized. You get to feel the positive vibrations that come from growing your life and expanding upon it. Look for the good. Look for the grow. Look for the great. And do the good first. Your natural human instinct is going to be to launch into the grow and frame it as bad. If you catch yourself doing that, just be like, no, 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 no. I like to slap my hand. Like, mm-mm, don't do that. Don't, it's, it, I use it as a kinesthetic anchor. Mm-mm. It's not like I'm whacking my hand really hard. Like back when you used to play that game where you would put your, your hands over somebody else's palms and they try to slap the top of your hand. We're not looking to like beat the hell out of your left hand here. Is We're just simply, it's just a kinesthetic. Nope, don't do that. What's the good? What's the good? Okay, now where can you grow? Not what I did bad. Where can I grow? And what did I do great? This is phenomenal. Do this, do this over and over and over and over again with everything, with dinner tonight, with vacuuming, with brushing your teeth, with talking to your partner, after your lovemaking. I mean, whenever you want to use it, where do we do good? Where can we grow? What did we do great? Awesome. <laughs> right? After watching a TV show, spending quality time, going to the zoo, making funnel cakes, buying funnel cakes, everything in your life is providing you some level of feedback. Ask yourself, where is it good? Where can you grow? And where is it great? And next week, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna roll this through another way of walking through and saying, okay. Where am I able to now take this information and really begin to expand our lives? For those of you listening to this this show linearly, you know that we're coming up on the new year. And just like last year, and in the next episode, I will discuss more. But there's a lot of amazing episodes. A lot of amazing episodes. Um, we got self-awareness and taking action. That's one at 137. Um, awareness of blind spots at 139. You know, we um, started getting into uh, why New Year's resolutions rarely stick. Episode 140, uh, into the masks we wear, 141. Um, you aren't what you've done nor what you do, okay? You are, you are not. You are not who you were. You are what you do today. And, he'll, and even in that regard, it's like these labels, they don't need to exist. Episode 143, um, let's see, Patience and Impulse Control, 146. 147, we start talking about New Year, New You. And remember, I know that I didn't start talking about this this year um, on December 1st, but your New Year's already started. You're already in it. You're already in your New Year. The New Year starts the beginning of December and it ends at the, at the end of February. And I know we did the science of addiction and stigma and I didn't wrap into this very much. So we're going to talk about it in the next episode. It'll be perfect timing. Uh, I know this is coming out on like Wednesday. I'm probably just going to shoot another episode and put it out on Monday. And we might even start having these things come out just a little bit faster because we're getting into the end of the year and I want to make sure you finish strong. And this episode, really, I just wanted to talk about 
what I experienced Saturday at the recovery center, where I started to tear myself up, and how I chose to run it through my feedback loop of good, grow, great. I could do that with the podcast. Ah, oh, you know, it's good that I keep putting out podcasts every week, great topics, but I could grow. Is could have started talking about the new year, new you thing, December 1st, and here we are. It's already December 7th, and oh my goodness, they missed out on a week. Oh my God, they missed out on a week. They're, oh my God, their lives are never going to be perfect because I didn't do what I thought I was going to do. <laughs> this, <laughs> this beating ourselves up stuff, It's something that's going to take a lot of practice to release. I dare not say we just need to stop it because it's, there's a part of the beating of ourselves up that alerts us to things that are important to us. If it wasn't important to me Saturday, I'd have left and been like, cool, I don't really give a damn if they learned anything or not. I don't really give a damn if they heard anything that's going to benefit them or not. I don't really give a damn if they're sober past today or not. But that's not how I felt. It mattered to me that they learned cool new stuff. It mattered to me that I inspired them. It matters to me that each and every day they wake up sober. Because I know that every day I wake up sober, it's the best day of my life. I, honest to God, believe that. And I really, truly believe that those of you who have journeyed down this path 190-some-odd shows later, you absolutely believe it too. Life is immeasurably better sober. The facade that society has sold us that alcohol is the only way to have fun at weddings and have fun at important events and have fun at sporting events, it's BS. I went to a football game recently. I watched people continuously go down and get more and more more beers. They seem to be more focused on how many beers they had during the game than actually paying attention to the game. And because each can of beer was $15, they were Definitely $90 shorter in their wallet by the time they left that game. One dude specifically at least had six beers. So not only did he blow through about 100 bucks, but he also was going to wake up. I mean, no doubt, he didn't, it wasn't like he stopped and went home and took a nap. You know he kept drinking. So he's going to wake up the next day not feeling all that great, having missed a majority of the game waiting in a beer line, and definitely poor. Has nothing to, and that's not even counting all the emotional stuff he's going to go through. Some people are in pre-contemplation, and they don't even notice that stuff. But we're not those people. And now you have a system to get yourself feedback. There is no failure. There's only feedback. And if you're like, but Jesse, what if uh, I go to cut down a tree and it like totally falls into my house and now I've got a tree in my living room? Like, that's failure. Well, okay. <laughs> Congratulations for using a very extreme hypothetical situation that more than likely will never happen in your life. <laughs> but you've definitely got feedback. Watch a YouTube video on how to cut down a tree before you <laughs> just start chopping down trees near your home. But because something as monumental as cutting down a tree is important to us, we're probably going to make sure we know what we're doing before we do that right next to our house. It's the little things that we do in life. It's it's even like, not that giving a speech is little, but compared to a tree falling into my home, it's certainly, you know, giving the speech costs me nothing. Dropping a tree in the middle of my living room is going to cost me tens of thousands of dollars. We can often think that these things that we do in our life we can just tear ourselves up about it. We can just beat the shit out of ourselves about it because, hey, what's the big deal? It's just me. It's just me in my own mind. No one else is being affected by this. But I can assure you 
that my friends, my family, my girlfriend, they've, they, they have seen a shift in me. They have noticed a difference. I have not been my usual self the last few days. Even in the tribe, I guarantee you there's an energy, there's a way I'm talking about things now that, they, that those that are acutely aware are definitely sensing some shifting in me. And yes, I got super creative and super headstrong and I've been calling places all week long looking for more places to give speeches because that's what I want. I want more places to give speeches. I want more impact. I want to bring more value. I want to help other people feel inspired by sobriety and recovery the way I do. And for my own selfish needs, I need more reps. I need more places to go speak because I'm not going to get better at this. Just standing in our room, pacing back and forth, talking on this microphone with y'all. I have habituated this behavior. <laughs> no problem. I will do podcasts till I'm blue in the face. I'll be doing this show when I'm 999 years old. But getting in front of people and being in the same room with them is a completely different energy. So I have set it down upon myself to do that, to get more stages, to go help more people, to guide them to their highest sense of self, to their best completed life, whatever it is they seek. I hope that I can be one of their mentors, one of their guides that way. I'm honored that you all choose me and my show in order to guide your sobriety and recovery journey. I do not take that lightly. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here with me each and every episode. So go out there, do things in life. Don't see them not reaching your expectations as failures. See them for what they are, feedback opportunities. Ask yourself where it's good. Ask yourself where you can grow. Ask yourself how it was great. And then go there, take that feedback sandwich and make it better the next time and the next time and the next time. And one day you're going to turn around and you're going to be so far from who you were then compared to where you are now, you won't even recognize that person anymore. Congratulations. Look back forward and continue your journey. Because that, my friends... That, my friends, is where the gold is. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the greatest day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine. He just had a birthday, by the way, or he would have. He would have just had a birthday recently. Shout out to Sunshine. Glow on. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.